let's talk today about this people that have been known for the last 125 years as the First Baptist Church of Olney. And so whether you were born into this church, whether you've got ancestors that planted the church, or whether today is your first day here, let's think about what God is doing here. Let's celebrate 125 years of being a local church. Let's think about God's demonstrated faithfulness to this church from its earliest of days. And second, let's think about our calling to prove faithful to Him in these latter days. On June 12, 1898, 125 years ago tomorrow, 14 people gathered at the Methodist Church, which was located at Avenue C and Church Street, and they organized a Baptist church in Olney, Texas. That meeting was led by the director of missions, M.L. McDowell, and he was the missionary and really was a church planner, and he planted the church here. Charter members that morning were J.T. Hunt, we have a picture of him, and thank, I'm so grateful for everybody that got us these pictures. Uh, Barbara's been collecting pictures, and Barbara, give Barbara a hand. She's a great church historian. Uh, when we walk over for lunch and you see all the work she's done, be, be careful to thank her, because she's put a lot of hours into framing things beautifully, uh, setting up the displays, and we appreciate what Barbara's done, and other ancestors getting us these pictures. So this was J.T. Hunt, and then also that morning, his, his wife Mary Ann Bass Hunt, we can show a family picture here, she's over here on the right side, in the middle row, uh, that's, that's Mary Ann Bass Hunt, they were charter members, Mr. and Mrs. T.E. Lovelace, Mrs. George Roach, who is akin to, uh, the, the Hannes family is kin to him, uh, or her. Uh, Laura Bloodworth, we've got a picture of the Bloodworths, so Laura is down here in the bottom right. She was also a charter member that afternoon when they, when they uh, organized the church. Mr. and Miss George Hutching, joined by statement. H.T. Kimbrough and G.H. Roach, Laverne Wood's husband, was a descendant of G.H. Roach, and... Um, Sadie Hunt, picture number four here. As, as Rue mentioned, we believe this was the first person baptized uh, at, by First Baptist Church of Olney. So I know that we have today uh, people that have traveled and come here, and your uh, ancestors uh, planted this church 125 years ago. So if you are a descendant from one of our charter members, could I ask you all to stand that we might recognize you? I think they're, they're in the back. There we go. Let's give them a hand for being here today. That is uh, quite amazing, isn't it? That even today we'd have direct descendants who could, could come to the, to the church this, this morning and worship with us as their family members did a hun- uh, worship together 125 years ago. Now, uh, the first pastor of the church, uh, there's disputing, there's a lot of dispute over this history. They weren't keeping very good records then, but one of the first pastors' name was H.T. Hill. He was on a quarter salary, so he was only here once a month, and he made $75 a year. That seems just unbelievable. Uh, (laughs) In 1902, 
the church was meeting at the Olney School, and they decided, after they had a, a, a little bit of a disagreement with the other churches, they decided to organize a separate Baptist Sunday School, even though they had no money for literature and they had no space to do it, they started the Sunday School that we still enjoy today. Between 1903 and 1906, the church built a frame church on Spring Creek Road and then conducted or constructed a parsonage nearby. The records indicate that the cost of the parsonage was $350. Another kind of amazing thing to kind of blow our mind and think about that. We've had long-term members. Our longest surviving member of this church right now happens to be Catherine Ashley. Because of health issues, she's not able to be here today, but there was another woman that many of y'all will remember, Zella Dagley. We have a picture of her, and she was a long-time faithful member of this church and very active for decades and decades and had memories going way, way back. She could remember, now this, this was from a church directory picture in 1974, and this woman was able to remember when her family would come to town for two week revivals. And her dad would lay out enough hay for the horses in the early 1900s, and they would stay near the church, and at night, they would sleep under their wagon. And that's how they attended the revivals for two weeks at a time. In 1908, Richard Campbell and John Groves each gave 50 acres of land and a railroad right away for the town site of Olney. A railroad was constructed that ran through Olney, and the church moved from the Spring Creek location to the location where the Church of Christ is sitting today. Then, uh, after Olney had kind of gone on as a sleepy farming community in in the early 1910s, oil was discovered, and Olney soon began to explode in growth, and it became, along with the surrounding cities, a boomtown. The Baptist church also began to grow at such a rate that they had to meet in tents outside the building for classes. Until 1914, the church used a single cup to administer the Lord's Supper. Isn't that interesting? Uh, and also in the early days, we have something here that's kind of, kind of amazing. This sits in the church office, but in the early days of the church, uh, until I don't, I don't know when they stopped doing this, but this basket was the actual basket used in the early 1900s when one of the Thomases would prepare the elements for the Lord's Supper. They would use canned grape juice and bring homemade unleavened bread in this very basket over 100 years ago to come to church and, and celebrate the Lord's Supper. And somehow we still have this basket Today, it sits in the church office, and if you come up and examine it after church, you'll think, that looks like an amazing uh, piece of workmanship to have survived over 100 years. So, kind of a a neat artifact that we have of our church uh, here in this basket. In 1914, though, they did decide to to buy individual cups, and then things uh, became a little bit uh, different uh, when they did the Lord's Supper together. Our current property that we are sitting on today, uh, this block was purchased, or portions of this block purchased over the years, but began in 1915, and the church began a building project. The church raised $10,340 to build the 1916 sanctuary over on the corner, uh, on the east corner. And this project went over budget. And when it went over budget, they stopped building until they had raised more money. Eventually, the building was completed at a cost of $12,000. That would be, uh, in today's money, about a 
thousand dollar project. I think if you tried to build that building, it would cost a lot more, but uh, that's what the internet told me, and you know the internet's always right. Uh, we don't have a lot of pictures of that 1916 sanctuary. People there, you'll see a few in the hallway there where they had people come sit in the pews and they took their picture. We don't have any pictures of the front of the church that, that I've ever been able to locate. If you have one, we'd love to see them, but we do have a video, and if you can look at this video of the, the old sanctuary, uh, these are kids at Bible school. And this is what the old sanctuary looked like back in the 1950s as the kids were coming in for Bible school. Yeah, we can, we can turn lights off if that'll help you see a little bit better. And uh, some of y'all might recognize some people in these uh, pictures. And there's all the kids uh, coming in for Bible school so you can sort of get an idea of what the sanctuary is like. Does anybody remember being in there? I got a few people that remember being in there. And then we'll show the front of the sanctuary here. This is the front of the sanctuary. So you can see there was a rail there uh, up, uh, in front of the platform. And uh, I think that's Jan Simmons, right? Is Jan in here? She's in the nursery. I think Jan is one of these little girls uh, up here. So that's kind of what the church building looked like in 1916. In the early days of the church, when they were... Uh, in this sanctuary and they, it had a, a, a balcony and it had the, the main floor and there was a treasurer of the church named Bob Farmer and he would go around and he would, he would have a hat and he would tell people that he was accepting preacher money and that's how they raised the uh, salary uh, for the preacher. Once uh, Mr. Farmer and another deacon were concerned, they went to the deacon body and said, you know, we've made a contract here. We've contracted, and this is right in the middle of the Great Depression, we've contracted with our pastor, Brother Townsend, to pay him $300 a month, which was quite a sum during the Great Depression. And so I like the fact that this church has always paid their pastors very well. Keep it up. Uh, <laughs> and so Brother Townsend was contracted $300 a month. And they said, Brother Townsend, we're not bringing in enough money to pay your salary. And so Brother Townsend looked at all the deacons and he said, well, I'll tell you what, boys, you just need to have faith. And the deacon said, well, that's just what we're talking about, Pastor. Will you take part of your salary in money and will you take part of it in faith? <laughs> and Brother Townsend looked at them and said, boys, I think I'll just take the cash. Uh, <laughs> And I'll take it all in cash. So that's kind of a funny story. And of course, God provided. They were able to pay all their bills and pay the preacher. This church has always been forward-facing. It's always been mission-minded to reach only and beyond. When Brother Cotton mentioned that our church uh, is one of the top 150 givers, that doesn't seem perhaps like that great of an accomplishment until you realize that he's talking about an, uh, around 5,000 churches in the BGCT. We're talking about a tremendous number of churches, and this church has always been a top cooperative program giving church. And that, that way you know when you put money in the plate, yes, it will stay here to pay the light bill and to pay me and to buy all the things we need to do ministry here. But every dollar is also being used somewhere all over the world to tell people about the saving grace of Jesus Christ. Travis Edwards was one of these generous men that uh, provided, after his wife passed away in her memory, provided our beautiful organ. And it's a beautiful Rogers organ with uh, the pipes and the registers of pipes that we uh, enjoy here at First Baptist Church of Olney. 
Uh, he was also a long-time member, and he remembers the founding of the downtown men's Bible class, which Mark McClellan teaches now. That class was founded in the 1920s. Now, the reason they founded the downtown men's class was because there, during the boomtown days, there were men all over the streets of Olney. And they were all over the streets of Olney 24 hours a day because the oil shift never stopped. It ran all around the clock. So they would get off work at midnight, and they would come into town. The stores were open. Believe it or not, there were bars here. Believe it or not, there were shootouts back then. It's hard to imagine Olney that way. But people got together and said, well, these guys are going crazy, and they're killing each other. We need to start a ministry to these men who don't feel like they have clothes to wear to church. So they started the downtown men's class. And they just said, come as you are, and they ministered to all those roughnecks. They had uh, over 100 men at one time that were in the class. And they, the class decided they would host a, a Chris, uh, I guess it was a Sunday school party, and they just invited the whole town. They said sometimes up to 500 people would come to a downtown men's Sunday school class. That class still meets every single week faithfully here in Olney. First Baptist Olney has also had a hand working with the Lord in founding the Northside Mission, the Southside Baptist Church, and the Spanish Mission, mission which closed after COVID, unfortunately. The idea was that we needed to reach people here who lived in different areas of town. Also, one of the reasons that other churches had to be planted in those days is that in the 1950s, uh, the First Baptist Olney Sunday School grew to over 500 people in attendance. And we have a video that I'll just let play. It's a few minutes long that will just kind of show you what Sunday school classes in the 1950s at this church looked like. So you can play that video as I, and I'll just listen to me. There's no sound on the video. Uh, they didn't have that technology back then. But by comparison, you know, for us, a large Sunday school is if we break 300. We generally run around 200 uh, in Sunday school. Or, or a large Sunday for us in here is 300. Sunday school is about 200. Of course, the population of Olney back in these days was much greater. Between 1920 and 1930, the town experienced 255% growth. So what was needed in 1940 and what was needed in 1950 here on our campus was education space. And here we are 70, 80 years later, and that's what we need to build again. The Southern Baptists had a major emphasis on Sunday school in the early 1950s. There was a slogan they had. They said, let's add a million more in 54 to our Sunday school classes. And Olney, as you can see, by all these children crawling all over their teachers and by these youth classes that are full to the brim, is Olney did its part to create a strong Sunday school program. Just look at how they packed people in for Sunday school. It's also interesting to note that in this era... Uh, we believe this is probably 1955, just a few years earlier, in 1951, these people would have experienced when a large F4 tornado uh, rolled through Olney and was very destructive, actually took two lives. Many people were here at the church that day. Uh, there was some sort of high school graduation practice taking place in the sanctuary when it occurred, and people uh, rode out the storm down in the basement underneath the old sanctuary. We can see all these, all these people. We can just let that roll for a minute. Y'all can watch that and listen to me. So how did we get here? <clears throat> how did we get into this sanctuary? Well, in the 1960s, in the early 60s, this sanctuary was built. 
It was built and dedicated or opened the first service, uh, February 8th, 1964. They had professor from seminary, Cal Guy, came down. And, and this was also the first night that the Beatles played on the Ed Sullivan Show. And nobody saw it because they were at church. But people have told me stories about when they built this building. It was actually built uh, by Billy Avery, it was the contractor. And the first thing they put up were these laminate beams. And so they said as they were building the church, can you all remember the church being built, anybody? And they said it looked like Noah's Ark being built upside down uh, because it just looked like they were building a big boat upside down right here in downtown Olney. The Fellowship Hall where we will enjoy lunch was built in the late 1970s, and we are still doing ministry in every single one of these buildings that that the ones who came before us were faithful to build. Even the buildings that are literally falling apart We are still using those and making the most of those for the Lord. We have a committee now working on a proposal. How can we position ourselves for the future? What buildings need to come down? What needs to be rebuilt? And wouldn't it be great if we could see Sunday school classes like this again as we seek to reach Olney, Texas? But we have buildings, but as you can see, these pictures are not of the buildings, are they? These are pictures of people. Buildings are important. But people are what matter. As I've heard stories and conducted funerals for our members, I've realized the great blessing of this church, the great blessing to this church, what God's gift has been, have been these people who sincerely loved the Lord and who sincerely love the Lord now with all their hearts. And what would we say if we could speak to these from the 1950s? What would we say if we could speak to those who chartered this church in 1898? I believe we could quote this verse. We would say, because of your example, we are holding unswervingly to the hope we profess. As Hebrews 10.23 says, for he who promised is faithful. I give you a survey of the past because it's a gift to be able to recall God's faithfulness. Over and over in the word, we're told to remember what God has done. And what has God done here? He's taken an imperfect people, and a perfect God can take an imperfect people, and He can use them for His kingdom. And He's allowed each successive generation to take the baton from the foregoing generation to take the gospel to this community and to the world. The methods have changed over the years. If those people could hear my guitar in 1898, I'm sure they wouldn't know what to make of that. Or our music or the clothes we're wearing, or the way we do things might seem shocking to them. The methods change, but the message is still the same. We preach this message at First Baptist Church of Olney. Jesus Christ is the only way, the only truth, and the only life, and no man comes to the Father except by Him. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, chapter 2, Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. As we think about those in the past, they've given us a trust. They've said, here's the ministry. We've taken it as far as we can. We're giving it to you. Will you prove faithful? God has demonstrated His faithfulness. We know God's going to be faithful. The question is, will we be faithful? What does that look like? I would like for our text just to be one verse because I'm really short on time. I'm past time. Bear with me. But let me just say a few words about this text. 
In him, Colossians 1.28, excuse me, him we proclaim, warning everyone, teaching everyone with all wisdom, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. What is Paul saying here? He's saying, we're proclaiming Jesus, and we're doing this by warning people, and we're doing this by teaching people, and we're doing it with all wisdom, being mindful of the times and everything going on around us, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. When we started this anniversary celebration, Verma said to me, Pastor, I got one word in my head. And whenever Verma gets a word, I listen to it. She said, trumpets, trumpets, trumpets sound the alarm. That's what trumpets do, isn't it? Trumpets can sound the warning. Here comes the, the attacking army. But you know what? Trumpets can also sound the advance. Trumpets can announce that the king is coming. What we do as this church, as Paul says in this text, is we proclaim him. And we can stand up here and say, all right, everybody, you need to give more, you need to come to Sunday school, you need to make sure you're here every single Sunday, and I could give you a whole list of behaviors. But do we proclaim behaviors? We proclaim him. The beautiful thing about our faith is we're not just following rules. We're following a person. We're following a wonderful Savior, Jesus Christ. Him we proclaim. Now, back in these days in Colossae, they had people that were called Gnostics, or we call them Gnostics, but what they taught was the, the thing you're trying to do in life is escape the body. You're trying to escape this evil material world and kind of exist on a higher plane. But they only taught that that was for certain people. If you were enlightened, if you had the secret knowledge, maybe you could escape the body and wind up being perfected. But notice what Paul says in our verse today. He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone, not just a certain class of people, teaching everyone, not just the enlightened ones, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. You know, our church would never have a problem making budget. We'd never have a problem with attendance or filling ministry positions or discipling people in our community if we were all mature in Christ. And you know what this verse tells me? That if we'll be faithful to follow Him, if we'll be faithful to proclaim Him, if we'll warn everyone that's not the way to live and teach everyone here is the way to live, and we'll do that with all wisdom so we're not just running people off and looking like we're crazy, if we'll do this God's way, every single person, this can be presented mature in Jesus Christ. What this verse means is that, believe it or not, and you guys know me well now, I've been here 10 years, this means even I can grow up and be mature in Christ. And it means you can be maturing. Maturity in Christ isn't just for super Christians. Don't think like those Gnostics did. Realize for us, maturity in Christ is something we can want for everybody. You can want that for yourself. You can want that for me. And if you want me to be mature in Christ, spur me on. Don't let me be complacent. Hold me accountable. Pray for me. And I'm going to pray for you. And I'm going to hold you accountable. And I'm going to get up here and I'm not going to hold back. Why? Because Jesus is worth it. Isn't that what we taught them in, in vacation Bible school? It's worth following Jesus even when it's tough. God is holy. It's worth following Jesus. That's what we taught them. We proclaim to those kids all week in Bible school, Jesus is worth it. 
And so we want to present everyone that way. How do I want to present you? How would I want to stand and, and, and Brother Townsend and Brother Powell and, and, all, and Brother Court Flint and all these pastors that I've heard so much about over all the years? What would they want when they stand before God at the judgment? They'll say, here was the flock you gave me for these years in Olney, and, and I'm presenting them to you. I did the best I could. Would you do that with your children? Would you do that uh, with the people in your Sunday school class? In Him we, we proclaim Him that we might present everyone mature in Christ. What does that mean? What do I want for you? What should you want for me? You should want a heart 100% devoted to Christ. A heart totally enthralled with Jesus. We worry about all the little things. Do we have enough money for this building? Do we have enough money to fix the car garage to put the van in? Do we, we worry about all these things, don't we? We give these problems to the committee. They say, oh, are the people going to give enough? Are the people... We would not have any of these problems if we had one goal, to love the Lord our God with all our heart. Does he have, if, if, so, so people say, what can I do for the church? What would be the best thing for me to do for the church? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Love your neighbors, you love yourself, just what Brother Cotton said to us. In Texas Baptist, we call that G2, the Great Commission, the Great Commandment. GC2, GC2. If we just did those things, you'd never have to worry about money. You'd never have to worry about volunteers, teachers, anything. That's the goal, is to have a heart that's a 100% sold out to Jesus Christ. We say, how many people, Dale, how many do we have today? 320. That's amazing, right? That's amazing, yeah. But here's the real question. How many hearts in here? 100% for Jesus. Think about your own heart. Did you come for the barbecue or did you come for Jesus, right? Jesus, when he, when he was feeding people, he said, they're coming because their belly's full. Are we here because we love our friends? Because we love the excitement of being in a room full of people where exciting things are happening? Or do we love Jesus, the one we proclaim, the wonderful Savior? Does he have our hearts 100%? Are we still holding something back? What are you holding back right now that's keeping you from giving 100% of your heart to Jesus Christ? We have a baby living in our house, 18 months old. I'll close with this. She's 18 months old, and she's hilarious. Y'all know her. You know Torvi. Everyone loves Torvi. But some days I get up in the morning, and Torvi's not awake yet. She's still in bed. And then I come home for lunch, and she's taking her nap. And so the whole, I go the whole day, and, and I don't see her, and she doesn't see me. And then I walk in to the kitchen, open the garage door, walk into the kitchen, and there she's standing in the kitchen after having pulled all the pots and pans out of all the drawers. And most of the time, she looks at me, and then she just goes back to whatever she's doing. <laughs> but that's not a very good term illustration, because sometimes what she does when she sees me is she realizes, I haven't seen him all day long. And whatever she's holding in her hands could be food, could be a pot or pan, whatever it is. She drops it, and she runs like this to me. And she jumps up into my arms, and I think, I like this. <laughs> Just wish it happened more often. But you know what? If that's the way we loved God, if that's how our hearts were toward the Lord, that we were always running like this to Him, you wouldn't be hanging on to all this other junk that's keeping you from following Him. You wouldn't be holding back your trust. If he had 100% of your heart, 
No matter what it was, if you had a chance to fellowship, if you had a chance to pray, you had a chance to read your Bible, and I'm preaching to myself here too, but if our hearts were just enthralled with Jesus, if He was becoming more precious to us every single day, all that other stuff takes care of itself. Seek first the kingdom and its righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What will the next 125 years look like? Long time. We have a lot to celebrate. But the thing we really have to celebrate today is the relentless faithfulness of God to His people. But don't let the glories of the past paralyze you. We must decide today to take our hearts and our church and place them in the hands of Jesus and say, Lord, shape us, use us. For some in this room, you've never given your life to Christ. Today, trust Jesus. He lived a perfect life for you. He died on the cross in your place. He rose again, proving that his payment for sin was accepted. And the Bible says that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I'd love to help you do that today. I won't leave. I'll be here till everybody's gone. If you want to talk about giving your life to Christ, you talk to me. Others, you've sat here. You've seen the pictures. You'll go look at more pictures here in a minute. And you're going to remember, I remember a time when my soul was on fire for Jesus. But you've let the flame go cold. Let the flame be revived today through repentance and turning to Jesus. He's come through the door. Drop everything and run to Him. Him we proclaim. Don't run to better living. Don't run to morality. Don't run to just trying to be good. Run to Jesus. We're here to celebrate the church, but... This is really a celebration of Jesus Christ. So as we look forward to the future, let us choose today to be faithful to the one who has proved faithful.